to our able, would you please stand for our scripture reading this morning for the book of Mark, Mark chapter 10, beginning in verse 13. And they were bringing children to him that he might touch them. And the disciples rebuked them. And when Jesus saw it, he was indignant and said to them, let the children come to me. Do not hinder them, for to such belong the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. And he took them in his arms and blessed them, laying his hands on them. This is the word of the Lord. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Father, we thank you for your word. We pray that you will bless it today as we look into it. Give us understanding. Give us ears to hear, eyes to see, hearts to believe. We pray it in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. You may be seated. If you have a Bible, I invite you to turn to Mark chapter 10. If you're using a pew Bible this morning, that's page 846, 846. You may have heard these words before. Jesus loves the little children, <clears throat> all the children of the world. Red and yellow, black and white, they are precious in his sight. Jesus loves the little children of the world. Like how I spared you hearing me sing. Maybe you remember this song from when you were young, singing it. Maybe you remember it being sung to you. Um, in spite of some of these lyrics being deemed politically incorrect these days, uh, this little song does accurately and plainly affirm Jesus' love for children. However, throughout history, children have not always been treated very lovingly. We can look back in our Bible to the book of Exodus and learn about Pharaoh and his attempt to stop the growth of the Hebrew people by trying to eliminate the baby boys. We remember Herod in his infamous genocide in Matthew chapter 2 of any male baby in Bethlehem born around the time of Jesus. Infanticide, that is the intentional killing of infants, was not outlawed in Roman law until A.D. 375. So while some children were loved and cared for, clearly others were exploited and abused and even killed. One commentator writes this, By Jesus' time, Romans had a trash heap beside many homes where people could leave unwanted children. If other people wanted the children, they would pick them up. Sometimes these children were raised to be prostitutes, gladiators, or even slaves. In contrast to that, the Jewish culture, says Warren Wearsby, valued children and deemed them a blessing and not a burden. Amen. We can see that in Psalm chapter 127, verse 3. It says, Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb, a reward. 
Verse four, like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Verse five, blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gates. Children are indeed a blessing from the Lord. And though in the past, in history, we can see how they were mistreated, we can see how Jewish culture valued them, what about our day? Well, preborn babies continue to be murdered in our country and around the world. Children in the U.S. foster care system in 2019 numbered more than 423,000. Child abuse victims in the U.S. numbered more than 650,000 in 2019. Even as we speak around the world in places like Afghanistan, things are so bad that families are selling their young daughters as child brides in order to provide for the rest of the family to eat. Things are not so good. May God have mercy on us. Clearly, we are ever more in need of Jesus' ethics in teaching on children. Last week in verses 1 through 12, we looked at Jesus' teaching on marriage. What seems like a natural or logical flow, now we come to his teaching on children. Here we'll see that Jesus, in fact, does love children. We see it on display in the midst of, of the ignorance from those who did not share Jesus' heart for children. We have much to learn from Jesus' treatment of children, as well as from the children themselves. Warren Wearsby writes, we tell children to behave like adults, but Jesus tells adults to model themselves after children. Our story begins in verse 13, where children are being brought to Jesus. And they were bringing children to him that he might touch them. Now, presumably the they who are bringing children are parents, and they are bringing their children, and this word children uh, can include various ages. So we're talking from infants all the way up to maybe even 12 years old. So the, the, a kind of a wide spectrum of children are being brought. Mark says they were bringing, which is a, uh, a repeated or continuous or ongoing action. Uh, this, this may give us an idea of the scale, uh, the, the, the amount of people who may have been coming. The idea here of, of bringing or to bring to uh, was used of sacrifices, to bring a sacrifice. So what could be suggested here is the idea of, of dedication, of bringing a child for, for dedication. They brought these children so that Jesus might touch them, we see in verse 13. Uh, they brought the children that Jesus might touch them. And then in verse 16, we find out that that's, Touch them to bless them. Right? Now that idea of blessing, we can go all the way back to the book of Genesis. And we can see how J Joseph brings his sons, Ephraim and Manasseh, to Jacob in order to bless his children. This is a, a customary um, act in Judaism, to bring your children for a blessing, to bring them to, to a rabbi to bless them. So coming to Jesus, who Jesus was a teacher, uh, it was not out of place for them to come. They clearly recognized something about Jesus that moved them to bring their children to him. In principle, we can learn from these, these parents about the practice of bringing our children 
or bringing our grandchildren or, or bringing any other children that we have relationship with to Jesus. We've seen this all throughout the book of Mark already. That what do people do when they have a need, they have a problem, they have someone who, who is in need, they bring that person to Jesus. And here, these parents, knowing who, at least in some part of who Jesus was, brought their children to him. And we ask ourselves, how, how can we be bringing our children to Jesus? How can we love them? How can we lead them to Jesus? Maybe you don't have children in your home anymore. Maybe this is a, an issue of, of grandparenting. Or maybe you don't have any children in, in access, uh, or you don't have any children in, in your, um, your sphere of influence right now as far as your, your family. But, but maybe there are other opportunities before you. Would you consider those opportunities? Consider how, how, how is it that, that you could bring children to Jesus? Maybe it's through teaching a Sunday school class. Maybe it's through teaching a junior church class. Maybe it's through helping in the nursery or in VBS. Or maybe it's not even here in our church. Maybe it's by providing babysitting for a, a mother in need. Maybe it's offering childcare. Maybe it's investing by coaching youth sports. Maybe it's volunteering at the school. Well, what is it? Where is the way that, that you can be part of bringing children to Jesus? How can you love them to Jesus? How can you lead them to Jesus? Certainly you can pray. Some of us might not have the access that we're talking about. Maybe you can pray. Maybe you can look for ways to disciple. Maybe you can find ways to spend time, just time, modeling what it looks like to love Jesus in front of children. Maybe you can encourage them with a word. I've been a parent for 15 years, and many of you in this church have encouraged my children. It's one way you're loving them to Jesus. You're leading them to Jesus by how you love them. There are opportunities they may not be all the opportunities that you can imagine or dream of, but there are opportunities. And the opportunities are available for those who see the value in children. But not everybody sees the value in children. As we continue in verse 13, as we see children were hindered from Jesus, look at the rest of this verse. And the disciples rebuked them. So here, here children are coming or being brought to Jesus and standing in their way, are the disciples. Jesus' disciples are standing in the way of them, and they rebuke them, presumably the parents, but maybe the children too, or, or they censured them, or they admonished them. Now, we might not understand why in the world would they ever do this. Now, it may be indefensible, but to give them maybe a small amount of credit, we could say maybe they were trying to protect Jesus. Jesus was rarely alone, his time was monopolized by a lot of people. Maybe they're looking at this thing. Maybe they're looking at the scale. Maybe they're looking at the, the amount of time that these people are asking of Jesus and saying, man, maybe he has other things to do. Maybe, maybe they, they, he shouldn't be uh, taking so much time with these kids. Maybe the disciples, though, less, less positively, thought the children aren't important. This is an important work. He's got more important work to do. He's, he's healing people. He's casting out demons. He's not going to hold your baby right? This isn't, this isn't dignified work, maybe, they thought. The disciples clearly deemed the children not important enough for Jesus. So even though we may try to give them credit, the reality is that their minds were not on the things of God. We saw that back in chapter 9. 
He didn't have the mind of God. They weren't thinking like Jesus here. And Jesus leaves no doubt about how he felt about the disciples' actions as he speaks to the disciples and then receives the children. Look at verse 14. But when Jesus saw it, that's what the disciples were doing to the people, he was indignant and said to them, let the children come to me. Do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. So upon seeing what the disciples were doing, Mark says that Jesus was, this word, indignant. Now this is the only time that Jesus is described by this word, this word indignant. It means displeasure, or it means to be angry, a righteous kind of anger. But additionally, this idea of indignant is the expression of deep emotion. So Jesus saw this and he was greatly pained. He was much grieved. He had much displeasure about what he saw. It wasn't just that he didn't like it much. He was bothered by it. He was concerned about it. He was indignant about what they were doing. James Edwards writes this, The object of a person's indignation reveals a great deal about the person. Right? What we get mad about says a lot about us more than what we're actually getting mad about. Right? Jesus' displeasure, he continues, Jesus' displeasure here reveals his compassion and defense of the helpless, vulnerable, and powerless. End quote. Jesus was not okay with how the children were being treated. He was not okay with what his disciples were doing. He loved children, and so he responds with two commands. We see them in verse 14. The first is, let the, let, let the children come to me. So this is a positive command. Let them come to me. Some of your Bibles say, uh, say suffer. Suffer not, right? Let, let, them, let them come uh, or, or allow or permit them to come. And then the second command is, is the negative. Do not hinder them. Don't forbid them. Don't stand in their way. Don't cause them uh, to be unable to come to me. Now, clearly, in Mark chapter 10, these commands are directed at the disciples. That's the narrative that we are reading. Yet, they do apply to anyone who would keep children from Jesus, right? Woe to anyone, any parents, any grandparents, any aunt or, or uncle, any sibling any neighbor, any teacher, any so-called friend who would stand in the way of a child coming to Jesus. Jesus is not okay with that. That's not team Jesus. Jesus wants the little children to come to him. Why? He continues, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Why, why let them come? Because, or for, because to such, to the little children belongs the kingdom of God. Now, this, this idea of the kingdom of God is, is used throughout the New Testament and the Gospels specifically, and it carries this idea of, of what is already, but it's not in full. So when Jesus says in Mark chapter 1 that the kingdom of God is at hand, what does he mean? Because we're not living in the kingdom, so he must mean that there's something that has begun, but isn't finally and fully finished. And so, yes, the kingdom of God is here in the sense of, of God is, is at work in the world. And people are being brought to him. And the more of the influence of God and of Jesus on the world, it, it looks more like the kingdom. But what we actually know is that the kingdom is yet to come in full. 
clearly, right? We just had prayer this morning for, for those who, who, who have passed away. We had prayer for someone who has cancer. We had prayer for the persecuted church. This is not the kingdom. If you think this is the kingdom, your bar is too low, right? The kingdom is coming. It's not here yet, not in full. So what is Jesus saying? To such belongs the kingdom of God. Such belongs, one commentator says, God's present spiritual rule in the people's lives. True. But to, to the kingdom, to the people of God, to the, the future kingdom, to the, the place where God dwells with his people, to that, to God's family, the children belong. Jesus did not see children as unimportant or the least, but rather he saw them as recipients of the kingdom. But Jesus is not saying that children belong to the kingdom because they're children. Okay, that, that is not what Jesus is necessarily saying, necessarily. He's saying they belong to the kingdom because of how they come to him. How do they come to him? Independence, in need. They, they come into the kingdom because they come needy. They come in faith. Children, we learn, can come into the kingdom upon their recognition of their need, their repentance of their sin, their faith. Some of you have come to Jesus at an early age, at a young age. And in Jesus' mind, if a child can understand, then they can believe. Childlike faith is faith. So childhood conversions should not be looked down upon. Right? They, we, should, we should not credit them as somehow a, a half of a, a conversion or, or less than a conversion. D.L. Moody, the story is told of D.L. Moody, the American evangelist who lived at the end of the 1800s, once returned from a meeting and reported two and a half conversions. His host said, two adults and a child, I suppose? No, said Moody, two children and an adult. <laughs> he continued, the children gave their whole lives. The adult had only half his life to give. Now this is not to minimize adult conversions. They happen, we've seen them happen. Praise God for those. But it is to recognize the consequence of children coming to Christ early. That their whole life is in front of them. That they're giving God not just the end of their life, but their whole life. According to a survey from the National Association of Evangelicals, they found that 63% of conversions occur between the ages of 4 and 14. 34% occur between the ages of 15 and 29. Now, I am not a math whiz. I went to Bible college. But that is, that is 97% of conversions that happen before the age of 30. D.L. Moody was also quoted as having said, if I could relive my life, I would devote my entire ministry to reaching children for God. Therefore, children's ministry or youth ministry, these are, these are not some kind of secondary or second tier ministries. This isn't game time with Uncle Chris. Or, or Aunt uh, Rachel. Now, th these are serious ministries. Why? Why? Because they are kingdom work. They're not some sort of a, a church strategy for growth. If we have children's programs, then, then we're going to get families to come to our church. That's not what this is about. This is about the kingdom of God. 
these ministries matter because children matter to Jesus. Well, Jesus continues in verse 15. And he says, truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. So he's saying to such belongs the kingdom. And then he says to them, whoever doesn't receive the kingdom like a child shall not enter the kingdom. So truly, or I tell you the truth is what that means. In order to come into the kingdom, you must come like a child. One commentator paraphrases it. It says, truly I'm saying to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God in the same manner as a little child will positively not enter it. We must come like a child. Jesus' call to come as a child is not to, to only, not only to children, nor is it a call to be childish, but it's, it's a call to be childlike. There is a difference. But what does that mean to come like a child? It means to come helplessly and dependent. Children are naturally helpless and dependent, right? When they come out, they can do nothing for themselves. Right? They are dependent on a parent. They are dependent on a caregiver. They're dependent on someone to meet their needs. So Jesus says, like a child, like a child is helpless, like a child is in need, like a child who has nothing of their own. I remember watching a sitcom years ago and, and the, the, the father character was talking to his child and the child says to his, his dad, um, we're rich, aren't we? And the father says to the son, I'm rich, <laughs> you have nothing, right? The, the, the point is, is that children have nothing. They bring nothing into the world, right? Materialistically speaking, but they are of such great value. The, the old hymn, Rock of Ages, nothing in my hands I bring, right? So spiritually, like a child has nothing, so we spiritually come and say, nothing in my hands I bring. Simply to the cross I cling. Naked come to thee for dress. Helpless look, for thee for, look to thee for grace. So unless we come helpless, we will not enter the kingdom. You won't enter the kingdom if you don't come expressing and understanding your need. Kent Hughes writes that this helplessness fosters humility. Humility. Jesus has been using this illustration of children. We see that back in chapter 9. He's making a point if we kind of back up from, from this, these uh, specific verses and remember what Jesus is doing here. Like this, is, this is spiritual formation of these disciples. He is helping these disciples come to know who he is and what it means to be his disciple, what it means to grow in Christ. We have seen the failures of these disciples, right? The failures to see clearly, the failures to have their mind on the things of God, their failures to, to only be concerned about themselves, right? Their argument about who is the greatest. Think about that in light of what Jesus is saying here. In Matthew chapter 18, Jesus says, Truly I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. What is Jesus talking about greatness for, right? Because they, they were arguing about this idea. The disciples were, were concerning themselves about who was the greatest. And Jesus is saying, you got it all wrong. The way up is down. The God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. 
We must humble ourselves. We must get low in order to come to him. And in humility, when we get low, we learn to trust. The kingdom of God is received, Jesus says. It's received. It is not earned. It is not deserved. It is received. It is given to those who come to God through Christ in repentance and faith. They come like a child, helpless, humble, and hopeful, believing. Well, having said these things, we come to verse 16. Jesus took them in his arms. After rebuking the disciples, now the children come and he takes them in his arms. This is affection right here. That's what we're seeing. Jesus could have blessed them by putting his hand on them, but he took, he took them into his arms. He's not doing this out of duty. He's not doing this out of obligation. This is affection. It is kindness. It is not merit-based. All is grace. And finally, we see the children get what they came for. The rest of verse 16, as the children were blessed by God, and they blessed them, blessed by Jesus, and laying his hands on them. Uh, the word blessed here means, means uh, to, to bestow divine favor on. That's what a blessing is. And here, this is a, a fervent blessing. Jesus is serious about this blessing. This is what they came for. This is what they received. Authors Trent and Smalley in their book, The Blessing, provide five components of a Hebrew blessing. They were a, a meaningful touch, a spoken word, Attaching high value, picturing a special future in an active commitment. We can see that in what Jesus does here in verses 14 through 16. He's taking them in his arms, right? The meaningful touch. He is speaking, he blessed them, he's speaking a blessing. He's acknowledging their value even as children by bringing them to himself. Picturing a special future by talking about this, this kingdom in an active commitment of how it is received. Jesus blessed them. We can learn that if we want to love like Jesus, we will love children. That's just a, a really basic concept. But if you don't love children, then you're not loving what Jesus loves. If I don't love children, I'm not loving what Jesus loved. It's really that simple. If we as a society, or as a church, or as a nation, or as a globe, don't love children. We're not loving what Jesus loved. So what, that's what we learn from Jesus. What do we learn from these children? That, that if we're going to come into the kingdom, it necessarily involves us seeing our need and humbling ourselves to trust him. You don't get into the kingdom without becoming like a child. And if you have a problem with that, you're not in the kingdom. Unless and until you recognize that, you are not part of God's kingdom. You're not part of the family. You're not going to be in the place where God dwells with man. Only when we receive salvation, we receive it as a child. We humble ourselves, recognizing our sin. Only then will we, will we be brought in. It's not something we can earn. We did nothing to deserve this. Ephesians 2, 8, 9 is clear about that, that it is by grace and through faith. In fact, these words are attributed to John, Jonathan Edwards, that you contribute nothing to your salvation except the sin that made it necessary. And it was for that sin that Jesus died. 
It was for that sin that he provided forgiveness. It was for that sin that salvation had to be purchased through the blood of Jesus. So as we come to the table this morning, we see again the one who calls us to come to God like a child so that by grace we can be made God's child. See that? We come to God as a child in order that we may become God's child. And if you are God's child this morning, if you have repented of your sins and trusted Christ alone for salvation, we invite you to partake of the bread and of the cup. But if not, if you have not yet come to Christ, if you are not a Christian, if you are living today in known, unconfessed sin, then we ask for you to abstain, to not receive these elements. Instead, we invite you to receive Jesus. We invite you to receive not, not a, a, a piece of bread and a, and, a, and a cup of juice, but receive the forgiveness that Jesus offers. Receive the salvation that can only be found in him to receive the kingdom of God by becoming like a child. Father, thank you for your son. Thank you for his body that was pierced, his blood that was shed. As Father, this morning we took of this, these symbols, we remember. Help us to remember. Help us not to forget the work of Jesus. The work of Jesus that that is required for salvation. In response to that, God, would you help us to follow you? Would you help us to believe? Would you help us to, to trust you this week? Would you help us to come to you like a child? That's how you invite us to come. May we do so, even today. For those that have yet to come to you, God, we pray that they would today. That even where they're sitting, they would simply look to you in repentance and faith. Look to you humbling themselves, recognizing their sin and their need. Look to you recognizing that Jesus did for them what no one else could or would do in order that they might know you, might have their sins forgiven, might have the hope of heaven, the confidence of eternity with you, this life that begins now and lasts forever. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Oh God.